0: Thank you for listening to the Table Church Sermon Podcast. We are in a series called Respectable Sins right now. You see, there are destructive behaviors that nobody would support, like lying or stealing. But sometimes the most dangerous sins are the ones that nobody thinks are wrong. And so we're taking a look at those respectable sins that have become such a part of our behavior that we hardly even notice them. Or worse, we scoff at the idea of not doing them. So let's identify how things like vanity, greed, consumption, the things we watch, might be keeping us from the freedom that we desire. And as always, be sure to reach out to us if you need anything at all at tablechurchdsm.org. Good morning once again, everyone, and thank you for being here. If you have a Bible with you, please open it to the book of Matthew. Uh, We'll be in chapter 6, verses 25 to 34 and Of course, it's wonderful for you to look at it in your Bible. I'd encourage that, but also it'll be on the screen above me if you don't have scriptures with you. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep the one that we hand you. We're just thrilled that you can have a Bible. So here's what it says. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? That's such a word for our day and age, isn't it? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Phil. Uh, my name is Moses Bomet. I'm one of the directors of mission here at Table Church. It's such a pleasure to be in front of you this morning. Um, before we jump into our sermon, I actually asked Pastor Phil um, to read the scripture this morning, but also because I wanted to take a few moments just to share something that I reflected on. Um, I just got back from Africa. I was there and I just got back this uh, past weekend. And as I Reflect on the sermon, reflect on my time at uh, Table Church. Sometimes it's best to slow down and then you think through things, right? And Pastor Phil is an integral part to me and my time with this church. Ever since my wife Nyla finding the church right at lunch Sunday, he has been a true blessing in my life. You see, I think I've said this a few times and Maybe you might say, ah, Moses, you know, we've heard you. You keep saying it. No, I don't think you understand. I really don't think you understand the man that he is, the heart that he has for this city, the heart that he has for this church and everyone who's in it. And, you know, when you meet someone and you get to talk to them and understand who they are and you just hear this goodness, this trueness, this gentleness, you can't help but have it rub off on you. And he has been that to me. He's been more than a mentor. He's guided me through difficult times, hard times. And so today, what I am saying is guys, we've got a pretty good pastor. You know?
0: I promise. I I didn't pay him.
1: (laughs) I only have one problem with him that he's a Hawkeye fan. So, with that, you're dismissed. (laughs) No, uh, let's pray, church. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to be in front of these wonderful people. It's such a blessing. Humble my heart, humble myself, that I can only use as a vessel to share what you have in store for us. And Father, I pray that the Spirit can minister to us this morning and that we can have open hearts, open minds to listen to what he has for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray and believe. Amen. Amen. All right, about a month or so ago, Pastor Phil asked this question, do you trust me? Then he proceeded to talk about politics. Believe it or not, I'm going to try to push that even further today. So I ask church, are you ready to hear what I believe God has for us this morning? I guess time will tell. Church, I love America. Who doesn't? America has the best of the best. It has the most of everything or anything in this globe. No questions asked. I mean, at least the good stuff of life. Wealth, check. Convenience, check. Lifestyle, check. Food, check. But I dare ask today, at what expense? We gain our wealth at the expense of 95% of the world's population. Did you know you're only 5% of this world? We demand to have what we want, when we want, regardless that it's causing catastrophic impacts to our environment and our ecosystems. We maintain our lifestyles, which translates to us maintaining sweatshops and promoting modern-day slavery. Our food, defies any natural system that can provide. Have you ever asked yourself that you go to the store and you can eat all year round grapes? That doesn't happen back in Kenya, back in Africa. We have fruits that are only available to us at different seasons. In short, we are creating our own Garden of Eden and guess what? We are God of that Eden. See, in my life, I have certain things that are non-negotiables, okay? Things that I love dearly, that I have to have, that I believe if I don't have them, I can't function as Moses in the best version of myself. You see, one of these things and the primary thing that I use on a very day-to-day basis that I value so much is electronics. I feel that I have to have certain electronics, certain things so that I can be able to do what I need to do. So let's take a little bit of an inventory of Moses this morning. All right, let's start here. MacBook Pro, check. What's in my pocket? iPhone 14, check. Ooh, Apple Watch, check. Wait, let's see what else we got in here. Oh, we got to listen to music somehow. Some Air Maxes, check. Oh, the laptop is not enough to get work done. I need to like, be, uh, be able to move quickly and easier. So I need what? An iPad. Check. And I'm sure there's more at home. We're in a sermon series called Respectable Sins. These are sins that over time, we have accepted them, we have respected them, and at times we even see people doing them and find them noble. At what point? At one point, over two thousand years of Christianity, these sins were simply sins. End of story. Phil has preached on what we watch, the idol of mammon, and the selfie culture. Today, we look at consumption. Consumption, to me, directly translates to consumerism. Consumerism in the American society, and if we're going to be honest this morning. It is also in the church. Consumerism has not only infiltrated our understanding and application of Christianity, but it is also essentially a religion in and of itself. See, there's a disease, a disease that is directly correlated to consumerism. And this disease is called affluenza. Affluenza. You may not have heard about it, but I am certain most of us suffer from it. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Phil talked about the idol of mammon. You see, when he talked about the summons, if you're not here, the idol of mammon is back in the day, they referred to mammon almost equivalent to money. But when they talked about money, just not money, the, the actual currency, but rather thinking of it as almost a being, that it had a life of its own, that it's a, it can take over someone's life. That's why it's the idol of mammon. Simply put, are you running your money or is your money running you? In an article by Craig Bloomberg titled Mastering Mammon, he asked the following questions to see if you suffer from affluenza. So, listen clearly and just reflect on this. Number one, do you get bored Unless you have something to consume, goods, food, or media. Like, oh, man, I can't just sit down here. Let me, let me scroll through that social media real quick. Affluenza. Do you ever use shopping as a therapy? Hey, we got to hit that Jordan Creek Mall. You know, today work was so hard, man. I got to go blow off some steam. Let me go buy a couple things. Affluenza. Do you personally fill more than one large trash bag in a single week? Try a day for some of us. Does each person in your house or apartment occupy more than 500 square feet of personal space? Are any of your credit cards maxed out? Affluenza. In the Shattered Lantern, Ronald Rollheiser writes this. Our lives become consumed with the idea that unless we somehow experience everything, travel everywhere, see everything, and are part of a large number of people's experience, then our lives are small and meaningless. Have you ever stopped to think through the ads of cars, right? When you see them on TV or on your phone, let's say, for example, it's a Jeep ad, and so you, you're watching and you see this Jeep, and this Jeep is going through some crazy terrain. It's going through some mountains. It's going through like deserts, you know, or over a frozen lake. Or maybe you're looking at one for Mercedes Benz and it's going from zero to 120 within a few seconds. I don't know of any highway that accepts you to drive 120 miles an hour. I don't know how many times any of you have been over deserts and mountains. With your cars. In 2021, there were 330 million people in America. In the same year, we had 290 million registered vehicles. Guess what? My son, Ellis, who is three years old, still has, I don't know how many years, what, 12, 13, before he can drive? Guess what? He already has a car. It is what I call the unrealistic reality reality nothing shown in any of those ads will we ever encounter them or use our vehicles for them. But I guess unless you're Vin Diesel and you're in Fast and Furious, but in how naive we are and vulnerable, we believe it to be true. And we see that ad and say, well, I need that Ford truck. You never know when I'm going to haul a big, 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 big boat. You don't even go to a lake, dude. Why do you need it? In order to understand how far consumerism plagues the American society, we need to look at the four main tenets of consumerism. So, I've had many chances to be in front of you guys, but today, I get to use actually what I went to school for. I went to Iowa State University, I studied economics, political science, and international studies. And so today, we're going to talk about economics for a moment. You see, we're going to have two areas, economics of America's consumerism, and on this side, we're going to have what I call the economics of God's consumerism. So let's start with America. Number one, it's all about supply and demand. I don't know if any of you took Econ 101. That was, of course, the first class I had to take and did a bunch more. But every time we started an Econ class, we talked about supply and demand, you know. But here's the funny thing that I want to talk about supply and demand. When we landed in school and even the idea of supply and demand is this, is that for an economy to function, you have supply and you have demand, you want to be at this point. It's a point of equilibrium. It means that the demand of these goods or services are matching up the supply. During COVID, the supply was disrupted. Hence, our demand was the same and the goods went up in cost. That's why, because of COVID. But here's the interesting thing about America's consumerism culture. In America, we are lured to believe we need things. This, in turn, creates demand for unnecessary things, which ultimately drives the supply of these things. It's a vicious cycle that continues over and over and over. Number two, it's never enough. It makes me think of the song from The Greatest Showman, Never Enough. Look at these lyrics. Please, just look at them. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. Hold on, time out. I don't even have like an ounce of gold. I know I've got a lot of electronics, guys, but I don't even have an ounce of gold. But a tower is still not enough. These hands could hold the world. The whole world. What more? There's nothing else. More than the world, right? Everything is in it. It'll never be enough. Never be enough. Church, our temples are malls and digital storefronts. Our altars are checkout counters and online baskets. Our priests are advertising agencies. Our sacrifices are the dollars in our checking accounts. And ultimately, do I dare say, our God is our unmet desires? King Solomon, the wisest man of his day, this is what he said in Ecclesiastes 1. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher utterly meaningless. Everything is mean. You hear how many times he says meaningless? We still don't get it. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toll under this sun? The rat race, guys. Chasing that dollar, chasing every single day to do all these things. That's what he's saying. That's the same version of 2023. Generations come and go Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Do you remember that quote from Ronald Raalhauser? The irony is that we believe we need these things and experiences to have meaning in life. But then King Solomon says, everything, and I mean everything, is meaningless. Number three, it's selfish. At the heart of consumerism is a need to satisfy our needs and desires. Our flesh has overcome us. We are slaves to our own bodies. We go to whatever lengths we ensure to find true happiness. We call it the pursuit of happiness. What happiness? I told you I'm going to push it hard today. What happiness? Many of us know the American dream. This is what it's defined like in Miriam Webster. It's says a happy way of living that is thought of by many Americans as something that can be achieved by anyone in the United States, especially by working hard and becoming successful. <laughs> From the surface, this looks so good. It sounds fantastic. In fact, my family moved to this country because we wanted to pursue the opportunities in the land of opportunity. However, I say to you today, the American dream is not compatible with God's mission for the church. And if we're truly concerned with God's mission, then it means it is our mission. So today I say to all of you, the American dream is a true distraction from a life lived totally and surrendered to God. Please do not mistake before you go out there and say, Moses doesn't care for people to be equal and have equal opportunities. No. I've actually been in this same pulpit, and I've talked about those who are marginalized, those who are left behind, and that we need to uplift them in our communities. What I'm saying is this. The American dream only goes so far and paints a picture of me. I am the center of the universe. This makes me think of this. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Number four, it literally costs our soul. You may be quick to disagree with me on this point, Let's take an inventory once again. How many things in your day-to-day life do you consider necessary? You can't live without. Oh, we have to have several thousand square feet of space in our house. I can't do a house that's 1,000 or 1,500 square feet. It has to be two thousand, twenty-five hundred. 2,500. Whoa, we got to have yard space, guys. I need a good-sized yard so my kids can play. Oh, wait. We've got five drivers. Let's make sure we have five cars in this household. Oh, i got to make sure I've got at least a million or two million in my retirement account by the time I retire. What if the following is what is necessary and enough? A roof over our heads, regardless of where it is. Public parks exist just a few miles from your house that you can go and play with your kids, and the kids can even experience other kids that they would otherwise not know. Utilizing one vehicle, and I dare say public means, even if it's inconvenient. If you steward your God-given resources during your time, when it comes to retirement your life will be very simple. Perhaps you didn't live a life in that time that made sense for you to have the retirement. I said I would push. In Matthew, it says, Matthew 8, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Gain the whole world? What did that song say? Holding the world in my hands is still not enough. We now transition to God's consumerism. Number one, God's consumerism is free. I think of it like this. The kingdom of God is like a club. Let's even say a VIP club, you know. But this club accepts anyone at any time, however they are. There aren't any requirements to be a part of this club. Only one thing, accept to be a part of the club. That is the free gift of salvation from God to us. You see, look at this. The need for love and acceptance is crucial in all human relationships. Yet, this unconditional love is a priceless gift that money cannot buy. Unfortunately, what money cannot buy, our consumerist hearts cannot properly value. Uh You cannot buy a way into heaven... You can't buy a way into being forgiven by God, but he's giving you for free, saying, just accept me into your life so we can be restored in this relationship. And you say, ah, come on, come on. I didn't pay for that, so that's not good enough. Let me, let me, let me go. Let me go chase some few things on here, you know? Let, let me have the nicest car. Let me have the biggest house. Let me, let me use these things to get this meaning in life because this free gift of salvation, God, that's cool. I don't need that. church we need nothing else but to pursue only God to accept the free gift of God we sometimes have to understand where this gift came from Okay. you see to be with God is free as I just said but free to you but it cost him everything it cost him his son it cost him his son to die on the cross for us and so I, I, I arrive at this conclusion. I'm not so sure there's anything else more valuable than that. I was asked, Moses, to save someone. This is one person. I didn't say the world. Ellis has to die. Ah, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure there's something that can equate that. Yet he did it for all of us. Number two, God's consumerism is one time. There's a Greek word called tetelestai. 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 Actually, the same word in Swahili so is imequisha. It's also one word, it means it is finished, it is paid in full. That's what happened at the cross, guys. When we when it says when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. The telest die. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. To be in the kingdom of God, you have to understand that the transaction has been completed. There's no recurring charges like your Spotify account or your Netflix account or your YouTube account or your Apple Music. No, it is done. It is paid for. It's over. You don't need anything more. To be a Jesus follower is to be satisfied that all we need is to follow him. And I dare say there's no amount of Instagram followers that can top that. Number three. God's consumerism is radical. Understanding fully how God's economics of consumerism works means you will not be understood by the world. I say that twice. Understanding fully how God's economics of consumerism works means you will not be understood by the world. You will be an outcast. You will literally be going against the tide. At work, you will look weird. You will sound weird. You will be weird. Are you cool with being weird? To your workmates? Pastor Phil shared a couple of weeks ago about our founder, John Wesley. He said, John Wesley, when he started his ministry, he had this salary, right? And so, as he went over time, and his ministry grew, he still kept the same salary. So the ministry has grown Opportunities are happening I'm sure he had even people coming In his congregation who probably Wanted to give him so much more and say Hey, they were probably in like a board of elders meeting And they were like, pastor What about your salary? It's like, no, I'm cool, dude I'm going to stay with this salary So I say that And if this is what you're thinking That's unrealistic What about inflation? My family is growing We need more resources, Moses you completely are missing the point. We are called to be in this world, but not of this world. Values of American economics do not work with God's economics. They do not work. Listen to the prayer Jesus um, prayed to his disciples that I believe should be our prayer today, church. It says from John 17, I am coming to you now, but I say these things, While I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. The world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is... It's not that you take them out of the world. You see, this is the other issue we have sometimes as Christians. We, we say, okay, hey, I'm not of the world. You know, those, those people over there, they have consumerist hearts. They're like chasing this American dream, do all those things. So you know what? Like, I'm going to leave those guys. I'm going to stay here within my cool church community. No, no. Jesus didn't say that. He says, you still need to be with these people right here, but not act like them, not be like them to be still of Christ. How are you going to minister to them if you're not with them? So we're not to leave this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you send them into the world, I have sent them into the world. See, this stack of things here, and more things that we can even talk about, there's only one important thing, and it's the word of God. There's no amount of iPhone or iPad. By the way, I'm keeping the Apple's economy going, in case you didn't figure that out. They do know they have one customer that's always keeping them going, huh? Do you believe that Jesus has sent you into this world for a purpose? Do you ever stop to think that without, with double, with, without any doubt, that a hundred years from now, all of us will be gone? Do you think about that? We are going to die at some point. I know that sounds pretty difficult. I know maybe it's even morbid. Maybe that's not the nice thing for most to say from the pulpit. But guess what? It's the truth. It's the reality. And if you don't think through it, we have been fools. It says this in Timothy. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You brought nothing and you will go with nothing. Newsflash. But if we have food and clothing, only food and clothing, nothing else I don't see technology. I don't see that house in the suburbs. I don't see X amount of dollars. It says, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So once again, church, table church, if we are true followers of Christ, if we want to be disciples of Christ here in Des Moines, We have to live a radical life. Last but not least, God's consumerism is communal. All that we are, all that we have, is for and from God. Believe it or not. This means that everything needs to always be oriented towards advancing God's heart and mission for the world. If I make a purchase for selfish desires... I should stop and not make that purchase. If I make a purchase that harms someone else, whether I know them or not, whether in another side of this world, I should not make that purchase. If I make a purchase that negatively impacts the environment in any shape or form, I should not make that purchase. Everything and anything should be seen through the eyes of God. Church, I know I've said a lot of things. I'm not saying money and possessions are bad, but we need to ask ourselves this question. What is the purpose and the motivation for them? That's what you should be checking your heart with. If we have fully grasped God's consumerism, this is what would happen. We will see that helping others and dwelling in solidarity with people in need is more important than prosperity in our suburbs. We will see that helping our neighbors... Helping those who are homeless, helping those who don't have as much as we do, stand closely with those who are imprisoned, standing closely with those who are minorities, standing with those who are being hated, is more important than how West Des Moines is doing, how Johnston is doing, how Enkin is doing. That's what that's saying. So I conclude by sharing something here personally. I I use this example. It's the honest truth. I had to check my heart. I don't know. When we're talking about these respectable sins, I listened to the summons from Pastor Phil, and man, like they drove deep in my heart as we talk about all these things, what we wash, the idol of mammon, the selfie culture, and now consumption. I'm preaching this to you guys, but I'm saying I am also preaching to myself. It is hard. I didn't say this is easy. It is hard. And so, as I look at these things, I wonder where we're going. I wonder what we're trying to do here. When I was in Africa, just as I said, uh, we just got back this weekend. We had a chance to escape to the uh, seaside. And just for a couple of days, my wife and Ellis were able to do this. And go to the Indian Ocean. We've been there a couple times. We love it. Um, And so we always like to collect shells. And I remember one day I went on a long walk with one of the guys there, the caretakers. And when I went on this walk, I was very fortunate to find this shell. In fact, this shell, it's pretty good size, but it's perfect. It has not been broken in any shape or form. I have never found a shell like this. In fact, I was so excited, I told my wife. And Nyla said, of course. (laughs) Well, that's not fair. How do you get to find that? (laughs) No, but after that, she said something interesting to me. She said, Moses, you must have done something in a different life for you to have all these good things happening to you. I don't understand how all these things always happen to you. And I know it was kind of a joke about the shell, but I reflected on it later on. You see, there's two reasons to that. Number one, is the prayers that have been prayed over my life. Primarily by my mother, my family, and other people. That is for sure without a doubt. Number two, is to live a life that is blessing other people. What do I mean by that? You see, these things... As much as I love my electronics, as much as I love to use them for whatever I might do with them, it does not equate the time we spend every Tuesday with Rise Up Tutoring. For me to look back the last three years to see a boy, you know, Edgar, who, who could not read or, or even write in English, who could not communicate, but now can speak fluently, can write fluently, he can be able to share his thoughts. With his teacher. Do you know he could not do that? He can now talk to his teacher, and his teacher can now understand Edgar on what all Edgar is saying. If Edgar is picked on, he can't even say, I'm being picked on. He just has to live with it. But now, because of Rise Up, he can be able to communicate that well. You see, another ministry we do back in Africa is called Rising Days. We walk with kids, uh, uh, young Uh, high school and and college students to be able to help them to go to school. We focus on helping young girls. I came to realize a girl is missing school five days a month because she doesn't have 50 cents to afford a sanitary pad. 50 cents. I don't know how many sanitary pads I'm looking up here. Probably maybe almost this whole stage with how much these things cost. And this is meaningless but there is meaning in knowing that girl cannot get to go to school. That girl doesn't have to have a self-esteem broken down. That girl can, can walk up with a chest up knowing that, you know what? I'm covered by rising days because I do have my sanitary pad and I can be able to go to school. I can be able to be in school like any other person, just like the boys. I will not be looked down upon. This barrier is lifted. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. When I say God's consumerism is in this I've got this. Guess what? I can help you out. Let's stand together. Let's be lifted up to Together and be a blessing to each other. And last but not least, I told myself this some years past. I said, I want to live a life of no regrets. I don't want to come one day. God, I hope He will let me see many years, but I don't know when my last day will come. But if I'm at my deathbed and I'm looking back, I don't want to think that, oh, I wish I helped that person. I wish I said that thing. I wish I did this thing. No. God, whatever you've given me now, the strength I have now, I will move as fast as I can, as hard as I can to be a blessing to as many people as possible. That's the only thing that matters. Only thing. I don't care how many of these I have.